Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yeah, across the world on the internet and around the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station, it is The Michael Duke Show. Hi, how are you? I mean, <clears throat> yeah, I thought it was Thursday to begin with this morning. That's the kind of week it's been so far. I mean, I've had a whole week full of, uh, I've had a whole week full of stuff already. I just thought, I thought it was Thursday. It's Wednesday, though, hump day, middle of the week. Downhill slide to Firearms Friday, where, by the way, this Firearms Friday, we're going to have a Jacob Sullum. No. Um, <laughs> man, do I need some coffee this morning. Uh, JD to Chili from Reason Magazine will be joining us on Friday to talk about the latest machinations from the ATF, the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, B-A-T-F and E, actually. And uh, <clears throat> it's going to be some good stuff, and uh, we're going to be talking. Uh, we're going to be talking with JD Tuchelli from Reason Magazine on Firearms Friday, and have a good discussion about that, along with everything else. So, welcome to you, regardless of where you're watching. I see that Dylan's watching and listening this morning from Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. But this show is basically broadcasting on the internet to anybody that cares to watch, and across the state of Alaska. On this, your favorite radio station and or translator. And uh, it is uh, FM translator, by the way. Uh, it is uh, a pleasure to be with you here this morning. All right, so what do we got? Man, um, I had, uh, I've had i had several politicians. I got a call yesterday from Les Guerra. I got a call from uh, another candidate. and it, Just people wanting in the last minute to get their foot in the door. But... Um, I is full, baby. I is totally full uh, with uh, candidates from now until Election Day. I mean, with, of course, firearms. I mean, I I did. I have held Firearms Friday as sacrosanct. We've had no candidate interviews on Firearms Friday because, well, because Firearms Friday. I mean, you know, seriously, you can't interrupt my therapy session with all that political stuff for candidates, right? That's just not right. That's not right. Uh, so anyway, today on the program, we're going to be talking with Jim Matherly, uh, who is a former Fairbanks mayor and candidate for, uh, state Senate. He's going to be coming on here in about 10, 12 uh, minutes or so. We'll be talking with him, uh, in hour one, in hour two, we jump to the national stage and we're going to be talking with Nick baggage candidate for Congress. Um, and, uh, it's interesting, you know, I put out an email <clears throat> for those of you who don't know, I mean, we've been full up with candidate interviews for the last, well, let me go back here. How many weeks is this? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I mean, like eight weeks we've been doing candidate interviews <clears throat> nearly every day, different candidates for different offices and everything else. 
Um, I sent out the email to all 126, whatever, I mean, that, you know, inviting them onto the program. And surprisingly enough, only two candidates for the congressional race deigned to come on. Um, Chris Bai and Nick Begich. Chris Bai, in fact, was one of the first candidates that we had here on the program, the Libertarian, the, the fourth slot in the ranked choice voting schema. He uh, he he came on and then Nick Begich came on, never heard back from Sarah Palin or any of her campaign people, uh, reached out to a couple of them personally, uh, said they were going to get back to me. Never heard from him again. Never heard from Mary Peltola. Have heard from Kelly Shabaka for the Senate side. Never heard back from Lisa Murkowski. Never heard back from Pat Chesbro. Never, you know, uh, apparently. I mean, but I mean, Les Guerra has been on the. This is what kills me. Les Guerra. A Democrat who we probably disagree on most things has been on the program and wanted to return to the program. I mean, what's wrong with this problem? Why doesn't everybody just want to come on and at least have a conversation? I mean, it, it just it throw it blows my mind. Blows my mind. Largest statewide radio te- uh, radio show uh, in the state of Alaska. Nobody wants to come on and talk about it. I just I scratch my head. I wonder why. You know, I mean, the the Doug Massey, the Scott Kawasaki, the people who have been invited have had, you know, what? why do you just not? I don't know. Maybe they don't want to be nailed down in positions. I, 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 I can only speculate at this point. I can only speculate because that's all I'm left with. They don't come on to answer their questions themselves, so I have to speculate. And if that speculation is wrong, sorry, you could have come on and talked about it. I mean, you know. What what are you gonna? All right. So anyway, today Jim Matherly, Nick Baggage, tomorrow Jamie Allard, and Chris By. So look at that. Both of the congressional candidates, uh, and Jamie Allard, of course, running for state house. She's currently serving as a member of the Anchorage Assembly. Uh, and then on Monday, the final day of. Uh, The final day of interviews before Election Day, we're not going to have any interviews on Election Day. We will have Brad Keithley here and Chris Story, and we'll probably take your phone calls to see who you're voting for and why and talks about. Uh, Anyway, uh, Sarah Vance and Mike Schauer will be on on Monday because Mike Schauer, I mean, normally it's been eight weeks, right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I'm just going back here. Uh, It's been quite a while since we had Mike Shower on. Ever since I started doing these interviews, it was the shower hour of power every Wednesday. Uh, But unfortunately, I said, sorry, buddy, um, I got things to do. And so he's coming back. This will be his first interview with us in quite a while. So uh, anyway, it'll be fun stuff. That's it. And then we're and then it's Election Day. Hallelujah. Yeah, I mean, Hallelujah. Election Day, it'll all be over, and then, you know, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Um, <clears throat> all right. So, um, I, apparently, I'm not alone in getting, uh, I'm not alone in not getting Palin on the show. Um, she apparently um, couldn't, they, they've been trying down at the st- other station in Kenai. Bob Bird was trying to get them on as well. She was on with somebody. She was on with somebody on radio, and I don't remember if it was Dan Fagan. Oh, no, she had the dust up with Fagan, didn't she? So it wasn't Fagan. Uh, maybe it was Picaro or somebody. Else. But, yeah, we just haven't been able to haven't been able to get anybody on. So, I mean, I guess use that to guide your opinion and form your opinion. 
I mean, I am not, I am not <clears throat> excited about a candidate who will not come on and at least discuss their ideas. Nick Baggage has been on the program. This will be his third visit with us. Chris Bai has been on the program three or four times as well. Uh, Kelly Shubaka has been on the program four or five times in the last year. Um, you know, all of these people. Again, even, <clears throat> even Les Guerra, again, wanting to come back on the show to have more discussions. I mean, I'm at least encouraged about that. You know, I, uh, I just really, I just really want to know why you refuse to face, even if it's a, I mean, I keep coming back to it, but I was just shocked to get the phone call from Les. He's like, I wanted to come back on your show. I mean, here's a guy who knows he's talking to the, uh, what's, I guess in today's parlance, the enemy, the, he's talking to the enemy. Right, and he knows he's talking to people who are philosophically opposed to him, more than likely. But he's still willing to do it. What the what the heck? I don't know. I don't know. All right. Um, what else has uh, caught my attention here? Well, the University of Alaska. Uh, uh, this, I, I just had to look at this, and and I guess scratch my head. Uh, look, I'm all for people being taken care of. I'm all for people having good jobs. I'm all for people, you know, when it when they when you get a contract and you do this and you know we we supposed to hold to the contract. But when contract negotiations are going on, it should not occur in a vacuum, right? It should not occur in a vacuum uh, and be tone deaf to the events that are happening around you, right? That it should. And uh, a contract negotiation is a perfect time to adjust things. So that they match what's going on currently around in the world. So there's an article out yesterday, uh, the University of Alaska and the United Academics, which is the union for full-time faculty at the university, have reached a tentative agreement for a three-year contract. And uh, this is a contract that has to be submitted to the legislature for final approval. The previous contract had expired at the end of 2021, so they've been operating essentially in an evergreen situation where they're still adhering to the terms of the first contract, even though it's technically expired, right? Um, but this is what really got this. This is what really got my attention. And again, I'm not trying to chastise any particular person, faculty member, professor, staff member at the university. But again, I just look at this as part of the tone deafness of people who over the last who work in government, who over the last two, three years, especially in light of coming out of a recession and going right into a pandemic uh, and now dealing with the economic fallout of that, um, just seem to be focused on having everything in their power be about protecting the government spend, protecting the public employees in the public sector at the expense of the private sector. So here's what got my, I guess this is what got my goat. The three-year contracts includes $23 million in added compensation and benefits, according to the release. Now, I don't know how many people are in the United Academics Union. It's a full-time faculty. So I don't know if support personnel are included in that or whatever, but there are about 20,000 people who are employed by the university. How many of them are part of United Academics? I don't know. But 23 million for 20,000 people or less, okay, uh, 
$23 million in added compensation and benefits, according to the release. The faculty will receive a 3% increase the first year, a 2.75% increase in the second year, and a 2.5% increase in the third year of the contract. Now, that's just not a straight 3%, 2.75, and 2.5%, right? Which would be, what, an 8 uh, and a quarter percent increase overall in a three-year period. That is compounded, right? So it's a 3% increase, and then you get a 2.75% increase of the 103% that you got before, and then you get a 2.5% increase on the third. You see what I'm saying? So it's not really an 8.25% increase. It's more like close to maybe a 9% increase or maybe a 9.5% increase over the and ever and I'm looking around at people who are like closing their doors because they they just finally have frittered out from the pandemic. And I watch people who are struggling to get employees and, and have viable and affordable health care and all this other kind of stuff. And then anytime we say something about maybe the university should be more efficient and we should talk about consolidating the three separate uh, you know, uh, the three separate silos of the university into a single one so we could have elimination of the duplication of effort and and save some money, they they squawk and scream and why do you hate children and you you hate the future and everything else. But they're back there stroking their beards and 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 raking in, you know, a, a significant increase every three years. I mean, I would love to have a 10% increase or an 8% increase over three years. Hell, I'd love to have a 1% increase a year, every year. 1%. That's all. I mean, you know, it's, I think anybody in the private sector would be like, yeah, I'd like that. I'd like that as a lot. But for the most part, it's just not feasible with the current economy. And then we got inflation and the thing. And I, again, just the tone deafness of, Doing all these negotiations, you know, in a vacuum of kind of just completely ignoring what's going on in the rest of the, well, the rest of the country, let alone the state of Alaska and everything else, but just kind of in a bubble and patting themselves on the back. And we did a great job. And, you know, according to the release, the tentative agreement increases faculty pay and the pension wage base expands the use of faculty development funds and provides for changes to the dispute resolution process. Oh, by the way, that 3% increase for the first year is going to be applied retroactively to July 1st of this year. So just in case you were wondering. I mean, okay. Okay. I mean, I guess that's it. Uh, I don't know. Maybe Jim Matherly has a comment on this. I know that he uh, he has had some negotiations that he's dealt with uh, in this kind of pace, and uh, maybe he'll want to talk about this as we get ready to go. I see him in the green room right now, but we got to go to break, so we're going to come back and talk with him here in just a hot second. It is the Michael Duke Show, broadcasting across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator, live around the world at MichaelDukeShow.com where you'll find the live stream, the Facebook links, the podcast uh, info, and the whole deal. We'll be back with more and Jim Matherly, candidate for uh, State Senate, right after these messages. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like... America used to be. 
Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the commercial break right now. Man, sorry, didn't mean to get so wound up about that, but I just read that and I was like, wow, that's crazy. Um, Okay, uh, looks like uh, Mr. We call him Mr. Matherly. He is uh, in the uh, green room and hanging out with us. Let's, uh, Let's bring him on board and see what he has to say. Good morning, my friend. How are you? Good morning, Michael Dukes. It's uh, <laughs> my old radio friend from back in the eighties. I mean, it's kind of crazy, isn't it? Uh, most yeah. people, most people don't know this, but uh, Jim Matherly actually uh, gave me my first taste of radio uh, back in the day. Um, he was just a couple. You're just a couple years older than me, right? I mean, I'm fifty three, so you you're just a couple years older than me. Uh, but I think I was 15 or 16 and my buddy Dan and I went over and Jim was working at a station called KQRZ there in, uh, Fairbanks. And we ended up doing a bunch of funky stuff for your show and I don't know, raps and music and all kinds of stuff. And that was my first taste into radio. I was again, 15, maybe 16. And, uh, and that was it. I was, I was hooked. And, uh, it wasn't two years later that I was uh, broadcasting full time down in Kodiak and doing a bunch of other stuff. So it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Faked my way into it, by the way, Matherly. I faked my way into it. They said, "You know how to do this?" I'm like, "Yeah, I've done this before." I, yeah, oh yeah, I've done this before. No idea. Figured it out yeah, on the fly. We've all faked it a time or yeah. two, Michael. I've I've still got you on my cassette of highlights of my show and. Do you really? You still have that, that Jim Keith, the, the Jimmy Keith rocking crew. Is that what it was? James, James Keith, Keith rocking crew. Yeah, that's right. We had a good, you should, you should send me a, you should digitize that and send me a clip of it. I posted it. Up you know, me. I can digitize it. I bought a cassette di- player earlier this year that allows me to put it into my Mac where I can. That's why I bought it. So oh, I can yeah. go through my cassettes. Yeah. So I will, I will do that for you. Yeah, that'd be fun. Send that to me. That would be a, a great, uh, I'm sure the, the folks on the show page here would giggle. Uh, uproariously, <laughs> I sure did. <laughs> uh, yeah, we had a, we had a lot of fun. Um, well, you you ready to do this thing, Jim? Uh, I hey, first first of all, heads up. Um, I know I cornered for folks who didn't know. Jim was at the uh, he was at the Go Winter Expo at the Carlson Center, and uh, we had a chance to talk. And I tracked him around and said, "Hey, I hadn't heard from you. Wanted to have you on the show." And uh, Jim went ahead and booked the appointment. And uh, uh, same, similarly to what happened with Scott Kawasaki, although Scott had already ditched me for one previous interview, like eight, nine, 10 weeks ago. Um, but I will let you know, Jim, that Scott was scheduled to be on yesterday and he did not show up and did not call, did not phone, did not write, did not do anything else. Oh. So, you know, it's good to see you is what I'm saying. And it's nice to see somebody who will engage with the public. So, uh, it'll be, uh, it'll be good stuff. Um, uh, Jim, just so you know, uh, if you're talking, uh, and you hear the, uh, and you hear the, the, what sounds like a ringside bell, that means you need to wrap because we got about less than 10 seconds to go. Uh, if you hear me pot up the music, it means we got to go, you know, you know, the drill. So it's all good. Absolutely. I'll pay attention to that. All right. It's James Keith. As Jason says in the thing, it's James Keith. Yeah, it was, it was James Keith. Uh, uh, I mean, I've always used pretty much my real name because I did talk radio and you can't be using a moniker. Well, I guess you could. Rick Rydell did that for 
yeah. a long time. But uh, anyway, for the most part, I never, I always thought that was silly as a talk radio host to just not be able to say your real name. So, uh, but yeah, Jim, uh, Jim was a, he did some amazing stuff. It was, it was fun. All <laughs> right, my buddy, uh, hold on the, hold the line. Uh, we're less than one minute out. I'm going to put you back in the green room for just a hot second. We're going to be back to you here. Um, and we'll see exactly what folks have to say. Uh, yes, I know people, I know like the, the front page says it's Thursday. They're free. I know it's because no coffee. All right. I, I did. I was, I'm thinking about 33 things. Um, and I accidentally said it was Thursday and it's actually, no, it's actually, uh, you know, Wednesday. Um, Hey, uh, have you seen my latest short on YouTube? Uh, posted it last night, already gotten uh, quite a few hits. If you want to know about bullet voting, just a quick 60-second hit on bullet voting, you can send this out to your friends and tell them why they should not bullet vote, especially in the gubernatorial race. I just, I, ju- I just posted the link to the chat room, so you can go out there and check it out, share it with your friends. Make sure you subscribe and ring the bell on YouTube while you do it. Let's get back to it. Here we go, The Michael Duke Show. Alrighty, welcome back to the program, uh, your home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. The Michael Duke Show, Jim Matherly, uh, joins us uh, here on the program this morning to talk about his candidacy, former, now former mayor of Fairbanks, and uh, I saw he packed up his office, and that was a sad time here for many people. Uh, Jim did some amazing work over there, now running for state senate. Uh, up in the, uh, well, what was it? What is the, I can't even remember. Every time they change them, Jim, it takes me 10 years to remember where everything is, and then they flip <laughs> them around. What's the new district now? It's District R or S or T or something? Well, it's two districts, one seat. So it's it, District mean, 31 and 32, right. seat P. Seat P, okay. I'm sorry, that's what I want. Seat P was the Senate seat. So uh, Jim Matherly joins us, and uh, we get a chance to talk with him about, uh, uh, well, all the good stuff and all the things in case uh, you just haven't been paying attention. Or maybe you live outside the city of Fairbanks or in the surrounding areas, and you are just not as familiar with Jim as you can. This is our opportunity to just have a quick chat. So uh, for those of you who don't know, I just... (laughs) Jim and I have known each other for years, uh, years and years and years. In fact, Jim Matherly gave me my first taste of radio. My first foray into radio was under Jim's tutelage. I don't know if that's really the right word for what we were doing, but it was uh, it was fun. And uh, and and Jim's got a he's got a long history back in the radio days. And so uh, uh, I wouldn't be where I am today without Jim having introduced me to the fun stuff that is radio. So thank you for that. Uh, Jim, uh, first of all, tell folks about, you know, who you are, where you are, where you come from, your history, you know, how great I am as a radio host now compared to what I was back in the day and all that. Go ahead and go ahead and I'll I'll give you the floor, Jim. Go ahead. You need to call me sensei. Uh, Sensei. Yes. Yes. Sensei. Best student I ever had. Anyway, uh, good morning, Michael. Proud of your accomplishments as well. Uh, You've done really well. You and Terry, great family and a great career so far. Happy to be here. Uh, yeah, Jim Matherly, uh, former city mayor of the city of Fairbanks, uh, was born in Fairbanks. My mom was born in Fairbanks. My grandpa was born in Fairbanks. And I went through the you know the public school system all the way through high school, got my taste of politics in 1981 through my government teacher, Terry Marquette. 
And I always told him that I want to be mayor one day of my town. And so for the past 40 years since I graduated, uh, I've been on this trajectory of volunteering, serving on boards, working in different capacities around government, because I spent, you know, prior to this, this life I'm doing, I was in, uh, you know, you mentioned radio for 20 years and banking and finance. And I worked uh, in the tourism industry, owned, a, owned an all-state agency, did all these things. And I've been a self-employed, you know, DJ on the weekends for 40 years now, too. And so in 2010, I pulled the trigger. Uh, I ran for city council and I won and I served two terms back to back, then elected mayor in 16 and served two terms there back to back. Uh, and so fast forward to now, I had to uh, leave the city last week. You're right. It was very sad. It's a long time to, to serve the public that I love so much. And it was a very eventful six years, uh, you know, as mayor. Right. Uh, it was, you know, it was really, it started out really sad uh, because we had Sergeant Brandt, uh, who spoke the night I was sworn in. Of course, he passed away uh, from that terrible shooting. And then bookended to this year. Uh, my best friend at the city, my chief of staff, died suddenly uh, this year as well. And it was just it was just all I could do just to kind of hold it together. And then through the pandemic and you were talking about, you know, contract negotiations and, and you know, being the boss of the city and trying to work through everything. It's been a real learning experience. And it's the toughest job that I've ever loved. And so it, it was just natural for me to to file for state Senate because I've been looking at Juno for years Right. Now, and serving this interior. And that's why I filed uh, to challenge Mr. Kawasaki, Senator Kawasaki, for his seat uh, coming up next Tuesday is the election day. <laughs> I know it's it's kind of crazy, isn't it? Yeah, crazy. It's I mean, you, and you've had uh, you know, you've had some some contentious moments. Uh, I mean, as a as a mayor, uh, some places where you took a stand um, and, you know, took some of the heat. You weren't always I mean, I would say that you're probably one of the most. Just, I mean, taking a, you know, taking a poll, putting my finger in the wind and talking to people anecdotally, you're probably one of the most popular mayors that I've seen in Fairbanks in many, many years. But it wasn't always all candy and unicorns. I mean, you had some tough moments in there. I mean, speaking of contract negotiations, uh, speaking of some of the bills where, you know, you had to veto and put your foot down and be the be the final say, you were willing to take some of the hard, uh, you know, take some of those hard guesses, you know, give me. Give me a, uh, you know, give me a couple off top of your head where some of those hard stances that you had to take so people kind of know where you stand on some of that stuff. Well, the two that come to mind immediately, I mean, the two biggest things during my two years, one was the veto of that ordinance in 2019, uh, of which uh, really, really caused me a, a lot of, you know, uh, backlash. I mean, severe. And in fact, if most people knew the emails I got from not just Fairbanks, but in Alaska, but the U.S. and all over the world, right? And it was it was worldwide. And this was the, this was the ordinance about gender discrimination, or uh, uh, it, it, explain what the title was. I forgot what the title was, but well, it was an equal. It, it was a equality ordinance, um, uh, LGBTQ, uh, and, and you know it was introduced um, during Christmas time of 2018, kind of out of the blue, and none of us knew about it. Uh, it, it did not get past that night. We ended up putting a postponement on it. I called for a postponement so we could actually study it. You know, Anchorage looked at theirs for eight months uh, right. before they voted on it. We had just gotten it that night. It was way too soon. And anyway, fast forward just three short months, it was passed. I didn't like some of the par- portions of the ordinance, and I was under tremendous pressure 
keep it right and veto it and i'll tell you right now michael part of the thing i've discovered uh, in my job is that politics is like this rubber band and i had the far left pulling like crazy i had the far right pulling like crazy and and when you really are for something or against something sometimes you tend to exaggerate and you really go for the throat and i knew the only way to come together was to to release the tension was come together on things because that's where most of us live, you and I and others. We kind of dwell here near the middle, not to the edge of the earth where you're totally immovable. So anyway, I decided to veto that, and that caused the barrage. And I was reelected that year, too. I was outspent three to one. I had you know, organizations like Planned Parenthood and ACLU just jumping on me an incredible amount. I ended up winning the reelection vote by about 9%. Uh, and I was really proud of that. I just didn't know what to expect. And then fast forward, the pandemic was the other biggie. You know, right. because because Fairbanks is a city within a borough, it puts us in a very unique position, Michael. The the borough could not mandate. Right. Only the governor has, could yeah. do that. Has no health care so, powers as a second class borough. It has no powers over health care. Right. Home rule city, I can. So I was under pressure to mandate. And some people said, don't mandate. But you know what? You can't get much better than Alaska for social distancing. And there was no way that I could put our police force um, in charge of monitoring 30,000 people. But we're never 30,000 people. We're 40,000 during the day, 45,000 during the day. Plus, I was not going to cram down the throat of the people what to do. Plus, it turns everybody into these vigilantes. (laughs) <laughs> and we saw that in Anchorage where this guy doesn't have it on. And this, and, it, and so I wasn't, I didn't want to do that. It was personal freedoms. Wear your mask if you want. I will wear mine in private business that I would want to respect. And I talked about, uh, I talked about, you know, the, uh, the choices of getting your vaccination or not. Because, Michael, the important thing that I had to remember was I, I'm the mayor for vaccinated and I'm the mayor for unvaccinated. I'm the mayor for masked folks and right. unmasked folks. Right. It's your choice. So I took heat for that. But we got through it. And none of our businesses really shut down. You know, we got $16 million from the state for our CARES fund. I didn't keep any of it for the city. We didn't buy a single police car or or replacement toilet paper for the city. I made it clear. It all goes out to the folks. We kept a little bit for the cost of putting the money out there. And we right. were praised by the rest of the state for how fast we got it out to the folks. Yeah, I know you guys uh, were doing a lot of stuff here. You only kept the administrative costs of actually distributing the money, and a lot of the businesses benefited. So a lot of good, it's got a good track record. Normally we wouldn't go into this, but I know that you had some really interesting times over the last six years. Uh, so, Jim, <laughs> let's start and talk a little bit about your race now running for the state Senate. Uh, this is a question that I love to ask people because, for me, when I was on the borough assembly, one of the favorite, I mean, campaigning is, always, you know, a drudgery in some ways. It's always a hard, hard, lot of hard work, right? But my favorite part of doing the campaign, although it's a lot of work, was going door to door. I love standing on people's porches and talking with them in their own, you know, area about, you know, what what are they what are they excited about? What are they happy about? What are they mad about? You know, give me your things. So as you've gone around and talked to people, you know, I, I want to know, I mean, what are people concerned about? Are they concerned about the PFD, are they concerned about crime, rank choice voting, inflation? What are the big top two or three things that people are talking about when you've stood on their doorstep and talked to them? I've heard a good mix, but uh, the cost of fuel, uh, people look at me and say, you know, gas is five ninety nine, and it was up here. Um, that was a biggie. 
Um, a little bit about PFD. Honestly, I didn't get a ton of PFD questions. Uh, uh, and education was another one because, you know, as city mayor, and, and being the most visible of the three mayors up here, and I was, that was by design, people reached out to me for all sorts of non-city things. So people were concerned about education. And even though I didn't oversee education, that's the borough function, I knew enough about it to give them answers because that's what kept me in touch with folks. So they had, some of them had questionable uh, questions on um, the curriculum and what are we teaching our kids nowadays. There seemed to be a real sense of the folks I talked to of, you know, are we pushing too much? Are we going too far? And, and the clear answer is yes. In many ways, we are going too far. And that's why folks on the extreme ends, I'm talking about the really small percentage, they, they don't make really good, you know, elected leaders because they're not looking at the whole totality of it. So that's what I heard the most. I heard a little bit of PFD, state budget's a big one. What are we going to do about oil in the, in the, in the pipeline uh, for more revenue? Uh, money is a huge one. And the cost of fuel, energy, especially energy. And since I'm not an expert and I haven't served in Juneau, I gave them my best thoughts on it, but then promised to work hard to learn more. Michael, when you go from city of Fairbanks to the state, there's a lot to learn. Um, sure. And, but just listening made them happy. Just the fact that I'm there talking to them, just like I have for the past six years, made them happy. So they have an ear right. to, to talk to. Absolutely. Now, uh, one of the things about the PFD is, <clears throat> you know, I think it's been a hot button issue for so long. I think people are growing weary because they're like they feel like their voice is not being heard. Why talk about it to get a change? But uh, could you agree in being an observer of the legislature or watching what they've been doing? Couldn't you agree that it seems to be it's the one thing that's just sucking all the oxygen out of the room? I mean, it's it's it really is the issue that is just, uh, you know, consuming everything. And it's an issue that needs to be fixed so that we can move on and fixing the fiscal state of the, of, of Alaska. Yeah, no, it, it's it's been the elephant. In fact, it's been too many elephants. And and what I'm sad about, really, Michael, it's 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 divided us as as a state in many ways. And, and that's upsetting. Um, you know, the PFD, I've, I've got my thoughts on the PFD. I'm learning a lot about how it originated and then how we brought it into you know, payment for the folks in the early 80s. So I've been studying it. But, yeah, it is sucking all the wind out. In fact, it's even fractured, I think, the Republicans when they go to organize. It, it's actually yeah. hurt the organization of the teams, if you will. Um, and and so, yeah, that's a big deal. In fact, I've heard a little more arguing among candidates than I did from folks talking to me personally. It's 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 just all too much. Right, and right. We need to clear that chalkboard and work together. Nothing's going to get done if you're bickering. And the folks don't care why we're bickering. They say, you, I mean, they looked at me and said, you vetoed, you did what you had to do. You took a stand. I wish they would too. Jim Matherly is our guest candidate for Senate seat P. We're going to continue with him here in just a moment. But we got to pay a few bills and uh, let you know what's going on locally. We will return in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Your mental suppository. The Michael Duke Show. <laughs> I played that one just for Jimmy. <laughs> Your mental suppository just holy crap. cleans you right out, man. It just cleans you right out. 
Uh, all right. <laughs> you caught me off guard on that one, man. I figured I was wow. watching your expression when I dropped that one. That's not one that I drop very often, but I did. Uh, Jim Matherly, our guest, running for Senate seat P against the incumbent Scott Kawasaki, who didn't show up on Monday after I had a face-to-face with him at the Carlson Center, called him out for not showing up before. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, Jim, I, I just got to say, uh, good job, by the way. I don't think you and I have talked much. Um, I mean, I've, I haven't been in Fairbanks. You took over right after I um, right after I moved away from Fairbanks. I moved down here uh, about seven and a half years ago. And um, uh, it, it was, uh, you know, I, I think you've done a good job. Like I said, anecdotally, I've heard more people be impressed with your positioning on this than uh, and the things that you've done and the and the people that you've helped more than anything else. So good job, my friend, uh, on that stuff. Um, I mean, what made you lose your mind though, and uh, and and just decide to? I mean, I know you said you had a heart for politics, you had a heart for helping people and doing all that, but what was the idea that said, "Well, I'm done with this now"? I just is it was it just a logical progression? Was there a single thing that made you? jump into it you know when did you lose your mind and go into state politics you know well i i'm gonna if i can toot my own horn for a second which i don't like to do i'm pretty good at it and after serving the six years and hearing the public and doing what i did i thought i was i think i'm pretty good at talking to most folks for being logical common sense like you've described i i don't lean to the extreme i i come here toward the middle to get the work done and a lot of people were encouraging me anyway to go along the way. But ultimately, I've been thinking about this for a long time. So I guess it would be my progression. You know, I could go into the private sector and make more money, no doubt about it. And and I've thought about the money thing because it's I'm not getting rich off this at all. I mean, I got six kids I've raised, and I'm, you know, I'm not living in a eight thousand square foot house. But I love. <laughs> No, I'm not. I'm just no, not. I, I, I got it. I got it. I feel you. I mean, I'm in a I, box I'm here. Not. I know exactly what you mean. It's not for the money. However, I do love helping people, and I have been able to help a lot of folks here locally, homeless folks and the opioid crisis. Um, and it comes from my heart because I have a daughter who's living in that world. And I've shared her story many, many times, and she's still living in that world of homelessness and addiction. And and I wanted to help folks that were around Fairbanks that had the same issue. So it's a personal heart drive to want to go to Juno and go amongst the fighters and say, okay, what are we doing? Right. And I don't care what, I don't care where you fall politically enough is enough. And the folks get tired of it. And that's why I'm glad I went through the, the city council first, then the mayor and all the heat. It prepares me much better for a seat down there than if I never served a day in my life and then went right for Juno. Right. Was, Definitely an educational process and, and gives you a, a little touch of it. Um, several yes. people have mentioned this morning, um, that you were really in touch with the folks here um, uh, who were, you know, were really in touch with the folks in your area. Sandy says that uh, you're very in touch with people. I hope you keep up with the live videos when you get elected. I know that you did a lot. You utilized technology. You utilized Facebook Live and other things to really reach out to the people. Is that something you plan to continue? Absolutely. I didn't want to do it. I got tired of it because Facebook is a sewer much of the time. But I was getting tagged on so many things and asking so many questions. I knew either I jump in with both feet and control my own narrative or shut it down completely and never look. Well, that's not that's not realistic. So I jumped in with both feet. I monitor the local pages. I offer suggestions and answers and do my live feeds to keep folks in touch. And, and I, I will 
do it the exact same in judo, the exact same. Yeah. Nothing's going to change. Well, it's ironic because, I mean, I use Facebook uh, every day. Um, but I'm like you. I'm like, this place is a cesspool. Holy cow. I it's mean, it, it, it's, it is horrible. It, you know, people being horrible to each other all the time. And it's just, it's a straight. But it is also the modern day town square. So we can't just avoid, um, we can't just avoid it. We have to rise above and uh, try and be uh, the, try and be the light. They'll try and be the positivity that people need to see out there. So it's. And uh, folks like Sandy noticed it. Yeah, and I heard that a lot, too. Anyway. Absolutely. Um, that's actually a minute early, uh, Jim. So that's OK. Um, I uh, Today has been a day. First, I thought it was Thursday. Then I realized it was Wednesday. <laughs> then I pushed the wrong timer. So it's all it's hump all good. Day. Yeah, hump it's a day. hump day. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> I'm uh, I'm glad uh, I'm glad to see that uh, you're making some moves. What's the you know, quickly here, 30 seconds uh, overall Ooh. feel of uh, satisfaction of what's been happening with the current candidate versus is you quick 30 second uh, take here yeah very satisfied um you know eventually i gotta let it go and let the chips fall uh but yes i've had great response really wonderful response from folks and i think it's gonna help me on on tuesday good all right uh i love uh i love to love to hear it. jim matherly our guest uh, candidate for Senate District P. We're going to uh, jump back into this here and continue. Uh, please like and share this video. Like, like and follow the show page. And don't forget to uh, tell all your friends and subscribe and ring the bell. Do all the youtube -y things. Here we go. Let's do it. Good music, beds. All right, we're back. Uh, Jim Atherley, our guest, just complimenting me on my music choice. Yeah, that's right. It's all good stuff. Uh, you got to be careful. You got to use all non copyrighted music. Otherwise, it'll be a bad day for you. Uh, hey, give me a smile, Michael. Uh, hey, how are you doing? Hey, uh, Jim Atherley, our guest, <laughs> candidate for Senate District P. Uh, and we've been talking about the PFD and his candidacy and everything else. Jim, let's dump into some uh, deeper issues. You said one of the things that uh, your constituents talk to you about is, of course, the size and scope of budget. So, Jim Matherly, on the size and scope of the budget in the state of Alaska, is it too big? Is it too small? Is it just right? What What do you What do you say at this point? Well, I don't know if that's the real question. I mean, the question is, are you spending the money right that you have? I mean, I've never really studied. I've never, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make up answers for you. You need to know that. I've worked on a city budget for six years, which is 32 million. I know it's much, much bigger in the state. I, I'm going to look at it the same way. Does the money we have provide the services that are needed? Period. It should provide the services needed. And if you've got schools that have shut down and never been replaced or no cops in certain areas of the state, then you're not putting the money where it needs to go, Right. And I think if you save a dollar, don't spend two. And that's kind of how I approach the city budget. So we were able to go across the board and provide all the services for people and get a balanced budget every year. And only the city council can deficit spend, but they never did to their credit. And I'm pretty happy about that. So is it just the right size? I haven't done a deep dive yet, Michael. I will say that if you're not matching and providing all the services that you should be, um, it's either too small, and I'm not saying that it is for sure, or you're not spending it the right way. And part of that, you, you talked about earlier negotiations and unions, you know, we have five unions at the city. And I will say this so the public knows, 
and I've said it publicly, I'm not a big fan of public sector unions. I think they're a very wonky marriage. And that's the most unoffensive term I've come up with right. in my time in the city. It is a wonky marriage. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But we've managed to do it because you, you, normally unions, their big word is more. That's the big right. word every year. And we go, and I was really proud at the city that we got off some of these one-year unions uh, contracts and went to two and even three years. It made it much easier for negotiations. But the size and scope of the budget is huge. But does it cover everything that you need for what you're promised and what people pay the taxes for? That's the big question. Well, and I think here's the question. Um, you know, there's in in the state, just like in the borough and even in the city, there's a question of things that are must-haves and there's a question of things that are nice-to-haves, right? Um, what is mandated by the Constitution? Public safety, education, infrastructure, right? Those are the three biggies in the state constitution. Are we That's spending right. money on things that are just nice-to-haves? We have them because, oh, the state can take care of that. It's free money. Let's just do that. Uh, we've seen that time and time and time again. I mean, we're spending on average in this state state two and a half to three times as much as any other state in the nation. Some of that has to do with geographic size, but not all of it by any strange stretch of the imagination. We spend more on education than almost any other state in the nation, and yet our scholastic achievement is at 48, 49, 50th percentile in the, you know, out of 50 states. So, I mean, the question is, is it too much money or is that we're not being efficient or the systems are just fundamentally flawed in the way we're doing things right now? I think they're all three a yes. And I hate to sound so generic and cliche, but it has to be a combination. You know, at the city, um, my job was to just do some basic things, pick up your trash, plow your roads, provide your uh, police and your fire. And that's it. And then administratively, there's things behind the scene the public doesn't really benefit from necessarily, but we have to do it to keep the train running. That's it. And I had questions from people say, can we do this? Can we do this? Can we tear down the Polaris? and build something and the city can run it. And I always said, no, 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 no. You don't want government tearing down a building and then putting something in there that they're going to run that your tax dollars aren't meant for. Let the private sector do that. That's where Anchorage, I think, I think Anchorage had a mistake when they used the Sullivan Arena. That's an example that I use because taxpayers built that thing. To my knowledge, they built that thing. And then they used it for something else. And now they're looking at millions of dollars in damage. I don't want to build anything on the Polaris site. So that being said, if the state's providing too many things that they shouldn't, you've got you've to dial it back and probably go to the private sector and other private business to take over some of those things, like the food bank up here and all these other places. Right. They will come and they will thrive if you just get government out of the way of that kind of stuff. Well, speaking of education, I mean, there's a been a, you know, if there's been one silver lining in the pandemic, it's been that people have discovered that, you know, that there are different ways to educate your children. It doesn't just have to be brick and mortar. Homeschooling has exploded. Uh, you know, learning pods, uh, charter schools, learning groups, you know, teacher pools, things, all these things are good. Uh, what about the chance of uh, creating some kind of backpack funding or, uh, you know, voucher or something that gives people the choice that instead of putting their money into brick and mortar schools, they instead are able to go ahead and have the money follow the child and giving the, the parents the ultimate choice in how they should school. You know, not everybody has a brick and mortar. I talked about a school in a small native village that burned down. I can't remember where it was. Now they don't even have a school. I have six children, Michael. Five, my five sons were homeschooled for 10 years at home and they did great and they're thriving now. I'm not saying that's a direct result of homeschooling, but it certainly didn't hurt. Right. And 
and, and of course, if you're going to homeschool, you got to have parents that are all in. They're going to do it right and not take the money necessarily because there will be abuse at every level all the time. But I live in the in I'm 50 percent and higher on the positive. I'm not a doomsday guy. So, yes, providing more choice for parents is huge, especially when you get out into the villages. Like you said, geographically, we're a state like no other state where it, we're so spread out. I mean, from Juneau all the way to Barrow is, is completely across the United States. Right, right. It's, it's, it's mind boggling to think that, but it's true. So you got to give parents more choice. You got to follow the kid. And I think if you can't do brick and mortar, parents who can be good teachers should definitely help. Um, let's quickly, uh, we're running out of time here, but a couple of hot button issues. Obviously, we talked about the PFD. I didn't ask you, do you support the full statutory PFD or changing the law? If I mean, should they follow the law or should they change the law? I mean, what, what is your take on that? Well, you either got to follow it or change it. And I this on the trail, I've been saying this because I've never gotten to the fight of all of it. And I'm learning if the state has fully funded its priorities. And you mentioned them earlier constitutionally, you know, infrastructure and public education and, and, and that and, it, and that kind of thing and, and public safety. If they fully fund those and they're working great, do the biggest PFD you can. Uh, but I've got to look and see when I get down there is too much going to this and <clears throat> excuse me, not enough going to that. So, but if there's a law, you got to follow that law. And if, right. it's, if you can't, then you got to change that law. That goes to anything in here, even here right. in Fairbanks. Same thing. Because the law says it shall transfer. It shall transfer, and here's the formula, and here's the amount. And government gets half already. So what they're doing is they're cutting into the people's half. The government already gets half the earnings already. So, uh, and the law is there. We should just stop ignoring the law when it's all said and done. Cost- or, or put more oil in the tank. Well, I mean, that would also be great as well. Um, yeah. Constitutional convention has been a big question. Uh, we're seeing a lot of fear-mongering. We're seeing a lot of different ads. There's big money coming from outside, big dark money groups. Uh, the 1630 Fund and others who are pumping all this money into it saying, you know, it'll be the end of the world. Um, many of us think that it could be, I mean, that there's there's obviously some dangers, but, you know, doing nothing is just as dangerous as doing something kind of thing. Uh, so what's your take on the CONCON? Uh, what, where you stand on that? Well, I said earlier that people on both extremes are doomsdaying the thing. <clears throat> and I, you know, personally, one day I'm, I'm for it. The other day I'm not. It's really weird because i got people talking at each shoulder all the time to me. Uh, uh, if, it, if it passes, I will work with the public. But I also know that we modeled ours uh, early on from the other you know, 48 states that were there before us. And I know it's a solid constitution and they've done a lot of amendments. I mean, and they've worked together to do that. If you open it up, what I don't want to see happen is if, if industry gets nervous about that, what are the rules? Or what rules are we playing by? Is there a deadline to get it done? And will it drag on? That makes me nervous because I don't want to chase away business either. Um, so I, I don't want to sound flip-floppy because uh, I haven't fully made up my mind how I'll vote for it. Right. Um, I'm nervous on both sides, Michael. I, I guess here's my, here's my, here's my, my, uh, my pitch to you. Um, there is no political will in the legislature currently to fix what's fundamentally broken. Putting the putting the PFD formula in the Constitution means that they can't ignore it. Putting a spending cap in means that they can't overspend what they've got going on. Uh, and maybe even just the retention of judges. That Those things could change. Now, it's open to a lot of other things, but I think we have to vote on each and every one, and I think we could all agree on those things for sure. Um, one more thing I'll say that I learned, Michael. There was a memo written back in, I think, 2001, um, and the, 
the opinion said that if it, if it's put into the Constitution, hardwired into the Constitution, the PFD we're talking about, I read where then the federal tax law can actually tax the earnings, which they don't do currently. And when I read that, I got a little nervous and I haven't looked deeper into that memo. But that makes me nervous as well. And I don't want to subject the feds to grabbing you know, taxes sure. off the earnings of the permanent fund. So that, that also made me kind of go, ooh. I mean, yeah. I, I'll be honest with you, Michael. I, I get stretched everywhere. And I don't like giving a definitive if I've never been there. I, I'm always nervous about that. Jimmy, I'm down to I'm down to 30 seconds here. Quick pitch. Where do we find you? Where do we find out about you? Go. JimMatherly.com. J-I-M-M-A-T-H-E-R-L-Y.com. Friend me on Facebook. I'll accept you. You can follow me. Message me anytime. I'll return all my messages and all my phone calls anytime. Thank you, Michael. All right, Jim. Hold the line for just a hot second. Folks, that brings us to the end of this hour. Jim Matherly, our guest, candidate for Senate District, uh, Senate Seat P. We're going to be back with more. We've got Nick Baggage coming up in the next hour. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Radio. All right, Jim, uh, we're in the commercial break, and this is where I give all the candidates. I like to give them one last bite at the apple because I hate that I'm squeezed at the end for time. Um, <laughs> you know, and so if there's anything that you want to go deeper into uh, or anything that we missed, I'd love for you to touch on it. Um, I mean, I uh, whether it's, uh, you know, the hot button issues of, uh, you know, the, the right to choose or, or whatever it is, I want you to have a last two, three minutes here to just kind of uh, summate where you stand and go deeper on whatever you need to. And, and give you the last bite here at the apple. Thanks, Michael. Uh, well, I will. I, I didn't mention this. I thought about this after uh, we just got into this break. But another issue was ranked choice voting. I heard that a lot from constituents of folks at the door, and they don't understand it. Um, you know, I I think it's weird. I'm not a big fan of it. Um, but here we are. We have it. So I'm going to spend my my last couple of days fighting for it. What I think is is interesting is the way the Democrats really. Uh, only make one candidate go in there. You know, the Republicans, like in my race, have two, and other right. races have maybe even two or three. Right, right. Um, some in so some the races, new, there's five or four. Yeah, so, it, I mean, yeah. It's so, too many. Yeah, it, it's not everyone's going to rank me second if they pick Mr. Jaffrey first and, and vice versa. So, yeah, it makes me a little nervous on that. Uh, when it comes to the right to choose, you know, I got, I've already been hammered on that, but I haven't even reached that state. It, I, I didn't hear one at least for me, where I talked, Michael, not anybody brought that up to me. Everyone was concerned mostly about uh, energy costs and PFD and, and even ranked choice voting, that kind of thing. It's the economy, and, and, stupid, right? I mean, it's the James Cavell, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, it, you know, when it comes to the abortion issue, I think that, you know, to go this far where you don't, where you have total freedom all the way to the ninth month and then some to do it, I think that's a little too far for me. Um, but it hasn't even crossed my desk yet. So I don't know where to go on that issue. Um, I know there's privacy issues and all that with the state, Michael, that I need to deal with. At the city level, we never did health and social services. So um, I need to learn about it. And I right. hate to use that term, but I'm not going to do a George Bush, read my lips. I'm not going to go near that because um, you'll get bit every time. Uh, and then the most important thing is Democrats really know how to mobilize a vote. They usually dominate the early voting, which I've seen the numbers and they have in the interior. A lot of red folks vote the day of or wait till near the end. Listen, my dad said, if you're going to if you're not going to vote, don't complain. I am really trying to rally folks. It's OK that you're talking to me. It's OK that you call me, but you have to vote. And please rank me first if you support me, because if you don't vote for me, you don't go vote that day. You've just voted for my opponent because 
you know, his vote and my vote would cancel each other and that I have a chance at winning. And this goes with any anybody who's being elected. Don't sit back and sit these things out. Luckily for us, Michael, you know, we got Murkowski and we got, you know, we got the big ones. We got the governor. It's not a presidential, uh, but it's still a big, big race. So right. I'm, I'm anticipating a good turnout. But by golly, if you vote for me, just don't contribute and talk to me, go and vote for me, please. Yeah. And, so I, and that goes for any candidate. Well, and again, rank rank, rank the candidates, rank the Reds. Uh, I put out a short video yesterday on that. I'm linking it up in the chat room for folks to go watch it on YouTube. It's a 60-second video that talks about bullet voting and why there should be no bullet voting. You should not be one and done. You should you you may not like the game, but you got to play by the rules if you plan to win. And if we're going to change it and we want to revoke ranked choice voting, we got to put the right people in, and that requires you to maybe hold your nose sometimes and vote for people that you net wouldn't necessarily originally vote for uh, as maybe number two or number three. Um, right. <clears throat> uh, Jim, um, you know, one final thought here. Here's my suggestion to you because uh, your your answer on the PFD uh, to me was a little bit soft uh, because to me it's pretty clear prior to Governor Walker coming in and changing how we accounted for the PFD, it used to be a simple pass-through. It was a shell transfer. The legislature transferred it, and then Walker kind of muddied the waters by starting to account for that money and counting it as state income. I would suggest that uh, if you get elected, and I think you've got a really good chance here, and I hope that you do, that you sit down with – uh, you sit down with the Senator Rob Myers, um, who has been really studying this issue. He's got a lot of details on it. And you'll see that that is – I mean, the bottom line is that that is the people's money. That's not government money. It shouldn't be used as a piggy bank to fund other things. They're already getting their 50 percent plus the 75 percent of all the royalties to begin with, plus all the corporate taxes, plus all the severance, plus they get 90 percent of the money. <clears throat> We're getting a fraction of it. And now they want to dig into that as well because they can't control their spending. And until that PFD is off the table, they never will. It'll always be a contentious football that gets kicked back and forth. So I would suggest you talk a lot with Rob Meyer about that because he's done a lot of deep research and uh, and has got a real handle on that. So I, that would be my encouragement to you. All right, Jimmy, final thoughts here. Anything else you wanted to say before we let you go? Now's the time to do it. No, I just I, I respect you, Mike, and I'm glad you gave me this forum to talk to folks. Um, people talk to me all the time. I love working for people and working with people. So I hope they know that and I'll and I'll be the exact same guy I was when I go to Juno, the same communication, just a bigger level because I'll be learning about state stuff. And part of this is selfish for me. I want to set a good example for my kids. <clears throat> I'm sorry, Michael. And then learn more about the state, which I'd like to help overall by going down there, plus representing the interior, which is what I would ultimately do. But I'm going from one of seven voices for 30,000 to one of 20 voices to help for 700,000. So it's a much bigger scale. And I realize right. that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Jim Matherly. Uh, thank you, my friend. Good to talk with you and uh, good luck on election day. Um, uh, you got my support and, uh, and I hope that, uh, I hope that we can uh, be talking again soon as uh, as a new Senator. Thank you for coming on board and joining us. Give my love to Terry. Thanks, Michael. I will. Thanks so much. Jim Matherly, our guest here uh, on The Michael Duke Show. Um, all right. We're waiting for Nick Baggage to uh, tune in here. Um, I don't see him in the green room quite as of yet, and we're running out of time. Uh, but we'll see. I'm just checking my email to see if they got a if we got a uh, uh, an email back. Did not get an email back yet. All right. So uh, Nick Baggett should be joining us here in the next couple minutes. We will do our best to connect with that, and uh, we'll keep things going. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Here we go. I got the right day now. 
It's Wednesday. Here we go. in its holster we haven't gone anywhere i don't understand check out the michaeldukeshow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast welcome to the party pal the, the michael dukes show the greed and the entitlement is astounding to me what more could you want from a low-budget radio program this is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the interwebs at MichaelDukeShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Hello and good morning to you, my friends. How is it? How is it? It's hump day. Hump day. Middle of the week. Getting ready for that downhill slide all the way to Firearms Friday where we will be joined um, by uh, J.D. Chuchilli from Reason Magazine on Friday to talk about the latest shenanigans from the ATF. And we'll be, uh, we'll be talking about that uh, tomorrow on the program. We're going to be joined by Jamie Allard and Chris Bai, uh, who's uh, Jamie Allard for Statehouse, Chris Bai running for uh, Congress as a libertarian. Uh, and then this morning, we're about to be joined by Nick Beggage, who uh, is also a candidate for U.S. Congress. I see he's just popped into the green room and we're ready to get things ready to rock and roll. So we're going to join him here in just a second. Don't forget, you can always join us uh, in the chat room, which is available on Facebook, YouTube and Twitch uh, all simultaneously. We're taking over the world. You could find it all over all the links and everything else over at MichaelDukeShow.com. Just go there. You could also pick up the audio only live stream there and links to the podcast, which is available on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, CastBox, Stitcher and many including spotify just go to spotify that's what i do um anyway so uh ready to jump into this i see nick baggage is with us so let's get the let's 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 light this candle and get things ready to go uh nick baggage candidate for uh u.s uh for u.s congress joins us uh right now good morning my friend how are you doing today I'm doing well. Thanks for uh, thanks for working with me as we worked out the technical oh, details. Oh, you know it happens sometimes. It's uh, it's a new you know everybody since the pandemic everybody's become an expert on Zoom, <clears throat> uh, on Zoom and Google Meets and everything else. And I just send out this simple link that doesn't require anything, and people are confused by. It. They're like, "What? I just I don't have to jump through fifty? No, just click the link. We're good. It's it's how it works. So it, it it's yeah. okay. Uh, we've got you on, and we're ready to go. All right, so um, Nick, uh, been a while since we talked. It's good to see you. Uh, what a it's yes. been a heck of a campaign season.
season. Uh, so for folks out there, let's just pretend like people have never heard of Nick Baggage and they don't know who you are. So give us sure. a quick thumbnail sketch of who you are, where you are, where you come from. Uh, let's get to it. Yeah. So uh, Nick Baggage, people often ask, you know, are you are you one of those baggages? The answer is yes. Um, but <laughs> I am a Republican and a conservative one. And you have to say that these days, apparently. Um, yeah, that's but the, I was, subcategory, yeah, yeah. the subcategory of Republican. <laughs> right. I was uh, <clears throat> I was raised by my grandparents on my mom's side of the family. So I am a lifelong Republican. I was raised conservative. Uh, my parents split up when I was young and I ended up leaving the state and grew up in Florida and uh, moved back to Alaska about 18 years ago. I was raised, as I mentioned, conservative. I was in, I was in teenage Republicans in high school. I was, was so young that we, we weren't allowed to be in young Republicans. It was too young for young Republicans. We called <laughs> teenage Republicans. And, uh, but anyway, raised in Christian school, K through 12, ended up at Baylor University, got a degree in business with a focus in entrepreneurship. And uh, worked for a little while in investor relations for a publicly traded company on the New York Stock Exchange. I was basically the interface between executive management and Wall Street analysts that covered the company. And uh, I thought I was doing pretty good. Asked my girlfriend's dad if we could get married. And he said, no. He said, uh, you're going to have to get a master's degree if you want to marry my daughter. So I don't think he thought I would do it. But I went ahead and went back to school right away. Got my MBA at Indiana University with a focus in information technology and decision sciences. Uh, went to work at Ford Motor Company after that in Dearborn, Michigan as a technology manager and um, spent a little while in the car group. They, they wanted to get me closer to the business and uh, they said they'd give me Mustang and I was very excited about that. But um, I went over there and they said, well, you know, good news, bad news. We've we've given the Mustang program to somebody else, but you'll be the, the product marketing guy for uh, minivans. Oh, exciting. So, exciting. That oh, was, exciting. you know, that's win some, lose some right there for sure. You <laughs> you went on to create your own company and uh, software. And I mean, it's been kind of a success story, right? That's, yeah. So I moved back to Alaska. We didn't love living in Detroit all that much. I suggested to my wife moving back to Alaska. She uh, she was all about it, thought we'd be here for a year or two. It's been almost 20 years now. Um, I started a software business with a folding table and a laptop about 16 years ago. And uh, kind of grew the business organically from there. Today, we've got about 150 people across three countries that build custom software applications, mostly for startups in lower 48 and even outside the United States. Um, the uh, In a lot of ways, we act as a business coach. So we give advice to early stage companies, help them find funding, um, build a team, build a product, generate revenue, and then they go on and build their own team and we start working with the next one. So right. I've been doing that for the last 16 years, but um, for the last six or so years, I, I've started to get involved in the political space. Initially was helping the Republican Party um, with fundraising as a committee co-chair, joined the Alaska Policy Forum board a few years ago and became their uh, board president and was their board president for three years. And for folks who aren't familiar with the Alaska Policy Forum, it's probably the most important conservative think tank in the state advancing yeah. uh, conservative policies at the state level. Yeah, exactly. So, 
Which, yeah. which is, again, it's ironic. If I've heard it once in the chat room or, or in callers, I've heard it a hundred times, you know, I, I could never vote for a baggage because I think he's a stealth can- I think he's a, I think he's a stealth Democrat or something like that. You know, I think there's black sheep in every family. I mean, how many times have you met somebody who's uber liberal, whose mom and dad were completely hardcore, iconoclastic Reagan conservatives, and yet they came out, you know, to be, uh, you know, Bill Clinton or, uh, uh, you know, or even Barack Obama supporters, it, right. it, you know, it happens. And so it is weird. You get the black sheep, you get the branching fork, so to speak. Uh, and it does happen. So I'm glad to hear that, uh, you know, you got a little bit of history in that stuff. Um, let's talk a little bit here about uh, the campaign. Um, Nick, I'm going to scold you for just a second. My God, I, sure. wish, I wish you guys had kumbaya a little bit more uh, at the very beginning of the campaign here, this mutually assured destruction, which is what it seems like the campaigns have become between you and Sarah Palin, um, is is it's just so frustrating because and I think this is part of the ranked choice voting thing, because what we used to have, obviously, was Republican primaries where you could beat the hell out of each other all you wanted. And then one person came out the winner and then everybody kumbaya and went on to the pri- into the general. But now it's all happening out in the open. It's like the silent part was said out loud and and it's. It's just been it's it's been horrible, and uh, and I think it's frustrated a lot of people. Um, you know, give me tell me a little bit about you know why you guys chose to go this direction, and uh, I mean, shouldn't we be focusing on why you're better than than Mary Peltola versus your opponent on the Republican side of the world? Well, <clears throat> really, the messaging has shifted dramatically since uh, this, the previous election. And I think we're all learning about ranked choice voting. And you're absolutely right. That was, the, you know, traditionally you have a primary for a reason, right? You're trying to sort out who among the candidates is going to be, you know, the most desirable within a particular party. And you move forward. Once you determine who that person is going to be, you hold hands, you put your arm around each other and you, and you help the other candidates move forward. In this system, um, we have something, you know, some people call it instant runoff. Uh, this particular version of ranked choice voting. And just to be clear right up front, the the Alaska Policy Forum, when I was the board president, was working to educate voters on how challenging and problematic the ranked choice uh, component of ballot measure two was going to be. And we took huge heat for doing that. I've not been a fan of this system, but we have it for now. So we have to work within it. And you know, if you've watched the campaign over the last couple of months, my focus has been squarely on Mary Peltola and the distinguishing uh, policies between she and I. And there are a number of oh, yeah. distinguishing policies. Absolutely. And so, you know, I think that shifted. You know, you, you've heard you've heard from the party. You've heard from me actually for months, even when uh, we were kind of going head to head. I was still saying rank the red. I was putting Sarah Palin second on my ballot and I'm still doing that. And um you know, I, I'm glad to hear that Sarah is now saying the same thing. And uh, I think that's important. I think as you look across the state uh, at not just this race, but the governor's race and other state house and state Senate races, if we're not ranking Republicans, if we're not ranking the Republicans, <coughs> excuse me, we're going to lose races we shouldn't lose. Not just this one, other races as well. And so if you're if you're even in the center or center right or hard right, you've got to rank regardless of how you feel about particular candidates. And uh, that's just that's the only way that we're going to maintain Republican and conservative leadership in Alaska. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, let's talk about some of those differences uh, between you and Mary Peltola, uh, because, again, 
Uh, I think this is where <clears throat> the rubber's going to meet the road. We've seen some we've seen some serious changes. Uh, specifically, let me talk first about my favorite hot button issue, and of course that's firearms. We've seen Mary Peltola come across and subtly and not so subtly change uh, change her. Uh, uh, her position on firearms, because originally she's all about the assault weapons ban. She's all about common sense gun legislation. She's all about background checks. And now all of a sudden it's about, oh, no, we need to, uh, you know, we're, we're protecting our rights and our food and everything. So give us a give us on that and then hit on a few other ones that are, <laughs> that are top of mind here. Yeah, well, if, if people did not have an opportunity to watch the televised debate from last week, I really encourage you to do it. Take the hour and go look at it because you're going to see big contrasts among the candidates. This was one of them. We were asked about uh, the Second Amendment and our rights under the Second Amendment. And Mary Peltola, to your point, she she stated, well, you know, it's about protecting uh, our food from wild animals. She was talking about how it's about hunting. And I called her out immediately. I followed her immediately after that question. I said, hey, that is not what the Second Amendment is about. Right. Right. When you look at when you look at the Second Amendment and its creation and the time in which it was created, our founders created that Second Amendment because they knew without an armed populace, we never would have been able to fight and win the Revolutionary War. Right. Would have never happened. Right. It had nothing to do with hunting. It never has right. had anything to do. Well, with and they knew it. It was an implicit check on government. They knew that, too, That's that right. an armed populace was an implicit check on the growth of government because they all and they wrote about this. They knew that government's nature was to grow. And the only thing holding it in check was an armed populace saying no. I mean, that that's the bottom line. Exactly. Exactly right. And she has tried to move on this issue. And we're calling her out. We called her out on Facebook. We, we, we've, we, have, we are doing everything we can to reach out to the public and say, look, she is trying to appear as a moderate conservative. And if you look at any of her messaging throughout the campaign, that's what she's tried to do. And what's interesting, I talk to Republicans all over the state. It's funny. I get her text messages, too. Oh, I do, too. I Absolutely. Yeah. They come to and people say, well, why is she sending them out to conservatives? Because she wants your second place vote. Right. Without your second place vote, she can't win. Right. That's why ranking the Republicans is so critically important, because uh, Republicans, if we rank her second, she's going to win that race. And she knows it and her team knows it. And that's why they're bombarding Republicans. With this well, message. and we saw that in the August 16th vote. We saw 23 percent of your voters voted for Mary Peltola. I mean, like what? I, I don't understand. You know, exactly. And and, exactly. and that's she, she comes off. She comes off very nice, very uh, amiable uh, personality. But don't let that fool you. Her policies are very left. They are extreme left. In fact, uh, we recently put, uh, if you're on Facebook and people can go out and look at my Facebook page, it's pinned to the top. There's a very short video. It's about less than 30 seconds long. And it just shows some up and down votes that we took uh, on a lightning round right. recently. And you'll see, she wants to pack the Supreme Court. I don't, right? Right. She She's out there saying she's opposed to term limits. I am for term limits. Right. right? You can see some of these contrasts in that short video. But it really does a great job quickly of illustrating, hey, she's to the far left. And, you know, you need to weigh that if, if you're even thinking about ranking Mary anywhere on your ballot. Nick Baggage is our guest candidate for U.S. Congress. Uh, Nick, we're coming up on the break. We got to uh, take a quick one. We're going to return here in just a second. Uh, we will continue these discussions uh, in the break in the chat room for folks on Facebook. And then we'll return back to you folks on the radio here in just a moment after we... 
pay a couple bills and get things out of the way. We're going to be back with you in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the commercial break right now. Nick Baggage is our guest. I guess first things first, I should say, is, uh, you know, thanks for coming on. Uh, You know, I sent out emails to all 126 political candidates in the state of Alaska. And uh, uh, for the congressional race, it's you and Chris By. You two are the only two that have accepted and come back on the program and been on the program multiple times. Um, you know, in the Senate race, only Kelly Shabaka has come on. Murkowski and, and wow. uh, Chesbro haven't come on. So, I mean, it's good. I think it's this is the kind of discussions we need to have. And uh, it's good that you're willing to come on. So I guess I'll ask you, I mean, if you do get to, you know, to win the race and become congressman, would you come on every few weeks and, and spend uh, 20, 30 minutes with us just to kind of give us an update of what's happening? I'd be happy to do that. You know, I think transparency and availability is an important uh characteristic are important characteristics for a representative particularly in the people's house right you know that's what the house of representative is it's the people's house and it was designed to be that way by our founders and we've got to be available it's disappointing to hear that the so many candidates chose not to join you on the show uh you know you've got a great program reaching thousands and thousands of people across Alaska every day. And I don't know how you can represent the people of the state if you're not willing to talk to them. That's yeah. something that I've worked to do every single day on the campaign. I've, I've been in the race for a year and I haven't had a day off yet. <laughs> yeah, I know you've been, you have been running. I think you're the longest. I think you and Kelly both are probably tied for close to being the longest two candidates. You've both been in it for over a year at this point. Um, and, uh, and I think, uh, you know, that shows your dedication to it. And I'm glad I'm glad to see it. Um, you know, I, I again, you were the first one to come out and say uh, to rank the red as far as, you know, you've said people, you know, vote for me one, <laughs> but vote for Palin two, vote for Sarah second. Um, yeah. And that wasn't the message that we were getting from from her. Uh, you know, we were getting the one and done. And we saw that, of course, in her. Um, in her things. And I just, I, I did a video last night, a short video on YouTube for uh, why we shouldn't uh, bullet vote. And I was using the governor's race as an example, but I could have easily as used used your race. The bullet voting has, has you know, we, we've got to not do that. Uh, what, whatever happens, we should not bullet vote. We may not like the system. And I think that was one of the arguments that Palin was making was this is a horrible, it's wonky, it's whatever. We may not like the, the way the, the rules of the game are set up, but we have to play by the rules if we want to win. So we've got to use those to our advantage. We should be voting. You know, I mean, it should be ranking, you know, uh, you know, uh, baggage and buy and Palin and then just not ranking Peltola. If that's the if that's the answer, if you're if you're opposed to kind of those liberal policies, that's where you need to go. And I think that's people right. people have got to get over it, don't you think? They absolutely do. And and you mentioned Chris Bai. And let me tell you, I've had an opportunity to interact with Chris Bai quite a bit on the campaign trail. Good guy. Really a good guy. 
Yeah, you no, know? he's good and, people. Uh, he's got a good. Yeah, I mean, he's he got is. my vote. I mean, I, I mean, I'll be honest. He's got my vote. Um, and it may be that people have criticized. Well, that's a wasted vote. He's a libertarian. He's never going to make it. Is it? Well, I guess that's the beauty of ranked choice voting. The one thing is, is that I can vote my conscience and then vote for the person that I really think is going to win and should win. Right? I mean, if that's the case, yeah, I can yeah. I can rank Chris one and you two and Palin three and not rank Paltola. And guess what? Nick's still going to get my vote. Nick's going to get my vote or Sarah's going to get somebody's going to get my vote if Chris yeah. doesn't make it. But at least by God, I could vote my conscience in that regard. So that's I, true. I guess if that's there's true. a silver lining to it, that's it. You know, it's not it's not a wasted vote, you know, kind of thing. Um, yeah. But it, it this is an important race. And I think, you know, quite honestly, I think quietly the whole nation is watching uh, to see how this goes, because now they're they're pushing this ranked choice voting and other things in other states. Um, so your thoughts quickly on that. I mean, how this thing goes out. Out and and you know your thoughts on it? Yeah, you know I I, I as I mentioned before I, I'm not a, I'm not a strong proponent of ranked choice. I've been opposed to it. You know I think it's one person one vote that's constitutional. The courts have not agreed with that so far. However, um, again as, as long as we have the system, we need to rank <clears throat> the the uh, conservatives in the race. That's important. Um, one of the one of the challenges with the way that ranked choice voting has been implemented in Alaska is if you think about what happened in this in this previous race, the the third and if, if these are your four candidates, right? The fourth and third place person's second place votes determine who wins. Yeah, hold on, Nick. We're we're going to rejoin. I want I want to pick up this thought because I think this is important. I've advocated for this. Let's get back to it. The Michael Duke Show. We're continuing now with Nick Baggage, candidate for U.S. Congress on the Republican ticket. Um, during the break, we just got talking about ranked choice voting and um, how, you know, it's being Alaska is quietly being watched by many places because they're attempting to put ranked choice voting in a couple other states right now. Um, and so they're kind of using it as a test bed. We're a cheap date. Remember that we're a cheap date here in Alaska. That's how they got it passed. Um, but it is an important factor. And uh, Nick was just going into kind of the analysis of, uh, you know, voting one, two, three, four and how it all breaks down. So I want you to, to restart and complete that thought, uh, Nick, because I think it's sure. important. I think it's important to analyze. And I think it, uh, what you're saying is 100 percent right. So here, here's part of the problem with the way in which ranked choice voting has been implemented in Alaska. And I, again, to reiterate for those who are, who just rejoined, I've been opposed to ranked choice voting from the beginning. Don't interpret anything that I'm saying as being supportive of ranked choice. I'm not. But the, the ranked choice system that we have right now, the way things are tabulated, if, if you've got four people in a race, right, the fourth person likely gets eliminated, the third person likely gets eliminated, and it's those candidates second place choices that determines who wins yep the second place choices for the first and second place candidates never get counted right and under other there's other systems that utilize ranked choice voting that tabulate the results differently and some of those use things called a, this is going to get a little wonky but some of those things use something called a condorcet method some uh some use approval voting to determine who's the most acceptable candidate. 
And what we found, because thankfully the Division of Elections released the full voter record following this previous election. Right. What we found was if I were second after the first round, I actually would have beaten Mary Peltola. Right. Whereas you know, Sarah lost by three, I would have beaten Mary by five points. And so this has been a criticism uh, nationwide following this particular race uh, of ranked choice voting. People have talked about it in the Wall Street Journal. People have talked about it in Newsweek. You, you, you've heard about it from national sources all over the place criticizing Alaska's ranked choice voting system because it really did not elect the most acceptable candidate to the Alaskan electorate. Right. And uh, and so, you know, it's not just that ranked choice voting is not a good system. We even have a, a worse version of ranked choice voting than other jurisdictions have. Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, uh, it's kind of reminds me of the old Avis commercial. We're number two because we try harder. Everybody should be going for the number two vote at this point. I mean, really, because statistically, the number two votes are really what generally win ranked choice voting in the in the long run. Uh, we had Dr. Fred Van Bennecombe from the Great Brook Institute on talking about that, and he said statistically that happens a lot. And in fact, in some areas where they've had ranked choice voting, you've got con- candidates that all basically campaign together. Two or three of them would group together and put ads together to say, vote us one, two, and three. We don't care which where you put us, but put us one, two, and three. Somebody's going to win, you know? And, and, and it's, it muddles people's minds. It is more confusing. And, uh, it, and I think quite honestly, it was designed this way from the beginning for the reasons that you state that it did not put the most populous candidate up or the most uh, widely accepted candidate up. It gave those underdogs uh, a leg up, so to speak. And, and, and I think an unfair advantage. I think so, too. I think it was designed that way. You know, it's a it's a very complex system. It looks simple on its surface. But when you break down the strategic implications of running a race, it gets a lot uh, uh, very confusing. You, know, you look at, you know, some of the behavior from Sarah Palin in the last couple of months, the way that she has sort of cozied up to Mary Peltola in many of our of our, uh, you know, public forums, right? Even in this last debate. And it doesn't really make sense because Mary Peltola's second place votes will never be available to anyone because she is going to finish in the top two. And it's, it seems like a a very strange strategy on behalf of that campaign to to do that. right? Right. I think what we need to be doing is reiterating, rank the red and highlight the contrast between what is actually a very far left candidate, Mary Peltola, and me, right? And if you're paling her, right. but uh, you know that's that's what we need to do. And I tried to do that in in my closing remarks uh, during that last debate, just telling people, look, we we need to understand there are two very different views in this nation. You've got the Democrats, which are about centralizing authority, taking away freedoms from the individual, taking away decision-making authority from the states, you know, growing the size of government, vilifying the private sector. And you have the Republicans that want to put government back, back in its lane, reduce government spending, improve the environment for the private sector so that you're rewarded for your work. And you, you, can't, you can't hold hands as we all go off this fiscal cliff together. Right. What you've got to recognize is there are two distinct teams. You've got to pick a side. And then find the candidate that you believe can win and then effectively advance those priorities in the Congress. Nick Baggage is our guest candidate for Congress. Uh, all right, Nick. Well, let's dive into some of the bigger issues here. Some of the things that, uh, you know, you are obviously 
uh, at odds with over Peltola, who's your real opponent in this race. Um, you know, of course, the big one with the decision back in June by the Supreme Court is the Roe v. Wade decision. Um, Alaska still has a right to privacy. Uh, and so as a state, we would still allow it. Um, so I don't know how much of that has become an issue on the campaign trail, but give us your thoughts. Where do you stand on it? Uh, and what should we be doing? Yeah, well, I personally, I'm pro-life. Uh, I'm I think that the Supreme Court made the right decision under Dobbs. You know, I'm a, I'm a constitutionalist and, uh, you know, I believe in the supremacy of the U.S. Constitution as the foundation for our laws in this nation. And, and I'm a textualist and originalist. So I believe that those the interpretation of, of the words of the Constitution need to be interpreted in the, in, in the way in which they were written, letter of the law. And the meaning of those words at the time that they were they were written. Right. And so I've, I've been encouraged by not only this decision, but a number of other decisions from this Supreme Court. I think that we're returning back to the letter and intent of the Constitution. That's important. And you're absolutely right. In the state of Alaska, you're not going to see any changes right now. Um, you know, this is something that Mary's campaign has been very dishonest with the public about. She's talked about two two things. She said a Right. She said, hey, uh, the people thousands of miles away from Alaska took away Alaskans rights. That's not true. In fact, they returned the rights to the people of Alaska, to the state. You itself, even, right. Yeah. Yeah. So she has been dishonest with the public about that. And then and then B, she has tried to couch uh, all of this under this broad banner of freedom. Right. Saying that she's pro freedom. But what she really means is that she's pro choice. She, she hasn't wanted to say that. But that's what she really means, because, again, she's going after conservative second place votes and she can't come out and say right. that she's pro-choice with no exceptions whatsoever. Well, but we all agree that, you know, uh, again, Republicans make up, what, 24 percent, 23 percent, 25 percent, somewhere in there. And the Democrats are two or three points less. And so you've got 50 percent of Alaskans or more who are more that kind of independence or maybe moderate or whatever. And so, of course, she doesn't want to stir the waters and say she's pro-choice or, you know, it, it, she she wants to she wants to run that middle ground. And of course, that's where you get hit by the bus is in the middle of the road. So hopefully your message can uh, hopefully your message can, uh, you know, come across in that regard. We but we've got to differentiate. There's got to be some differentiation and we can't all, you know, be friends in the you know, we could be friends, but we can't all say that we agree on the same things and then have a, a valid, uh, you know, race when it comes to the to the uh, end results of the issues. That's absolutely right. And, uh, you know, I tell people, look, I'm, I'm more than happy to talk with anyone. Right. It doesn't matter if someone's on the far left or the far right or right down the center. I'll talk with anyone. But, you know, the, the problem is when people muddy the waters between holding your line on your principles and getting along with the other side. Right. And right. I think this is what becomes so difficult for people, uh, you know, who want to be liked. A lot of times politicians, they, they have this this deep seated innate desire to be liked. And that desire to be liked overrides so often their their principles. And we can't have that. Right. It's fine to be friends. But, you know, at the end of the day, we have very distinguishing uh, policy differences. And you've got to stick with those because those are the things that people are voting on. And that's what you're running on. Right. Absolutely. Nick Baggage is our guest candidate for Congress. Um, Nick, uh, some of the other issues that you stand apart from uh, on Mary. Uh, I mean, obviously, abortion is one. Guns is another. Uh, you know, how about 
you know, resource development? How about opening up oh, the state? Yeah. How about getting our piggy banks open to where we can actually fund the state and put more oil back into the pipeline and more rare earth minerals out into the world? I mean, you know, energy security kind of thing. Shouldn't Absolutely. we be talking about that? Absolutely. You know, and this is the this has been my number one issue <clears throat> from the start of the campaign. You know, Alaska has a unique place in this world, but it's unique only if we can make an effective case for Alaska in the Congress and to the rest of the world. You know, I, I tell people, look, if you're on the left or you're on the right, you have a moral imperative to demand the work be done in Alaska. And people say, what, what are you talking about? I mean, if you're on the left, why would you want the work done in Alaska? Because the resources of this world are coming from somewhere, right? Whether they're in, whether they're in your phone or in the car you're driving right now, or in the house you're sitting in, or the building you're sitting in, those resources came from Russia, China, Afghanistan, Iran, Congo, right? And so many of these jurisdictions, they're actually using child labor, in some cases, even slave labor, right? And if you think they have an environmental record of, of, of any, uh, any positive environment or environmental record at all, you need to take a look, right? A closer look. What I tell folks is, if you care about the earth, and you care about people, you would demand that the resources of this world be developed in the very best jurisdictions. And the very best jurisdiction worldwide, and we know this bar none, is Alaska. And I think, you know, when Mary goes out there and she talks about resource development, here again, she likes to say that she's pro-resource. You know, she worked for Donlin for years. She's opposed to Donlin. Right. I don't know how you do that, but <laughs> she worked, she, she drew a paycheck for six years from Donlin, and now she's opposed to Donlin. Right. She has said on the campaign trail that she doesn't believe Anwar should, is profitable. Therefore, why should we even look at it? I, I told her in that same forum, I said, look, I don't think we need politicians telling the private sector what is and isn't profitable. Let's let them figure that out. That's right. not the government's job. Right. Right. And so she has a very mixed record. She wants to appear pro-resource development. But it, but her 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 statements on the campaign trail indicate complete, <laughs> completely the opposite. Unfortunately, you know, when she's armed with five million dollars, most of which has come from outside of Alaska and another two, two and a half million coming in in IE support, they can say almost anything they want to say over a text message or email or video. YouTube all the time. YouTube all day, every day. Uh, consistent, persistent, drip, drip, drip. Um, I want to talk for a minute here. Uh, you know, James uh, Carvel was famous for saying it's the economy, stupid. That that seems to be the number one driver. I mean, you know, abortion rights and Second Amendments and 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 you know, resource development. Those are all important. Don't get me wrong. But when people are sitting in the booth in that quiet time with the pen in their hand, ready to circle that oval, uh, you know, the one thing that they're probably thinking about is how much did it cost to fuel up my car? How much have my groceries gone up? How much is? I mean, it's about the economy, and we've got a Congress, Don Young included who have continued to just recklessly spend more than we take in year on year. We haven't had an actual budget in years. It's this continuing resolution yeah. stuff. So what is Nick Begich's position on living within our means as, as a nation? You, this is the, so resources is number one. Federal spending is number two, right? This is something that I have talked about for over a year the inflationary environment that we are experiencing right now, it's it's not caused by supply chain issues. I'm gonna tell I'm gonna tell you straight up, that is not true. Okay. You go back to Milton Friedman, he will tell you himself in his own words that inflation is is a monetary phenomenon. 
Okay, what does that mean? In, in real terms, it means we printed too much money. You can't print money in order to spend it, right? And during the last two and a half years, and I will tell you, this is Republicans and Democrats. Oh yeah. Okay? It's not just the Democrats, Republicans and Democrats. Under, under these spending packages that went through, there was so much debt created, not, not even a, a nation like China, which has $3 trillion in foreign currency reserves, could step in and purchase all the debt that we were creating. The only way that that debt could have been financed was through money printing. And when you tap the Federal Reserve to print this money, you grow the money supply dramatically. The money supply in this nation grew by almost double, okay? Almost doubled the money supply uh, over the last three years. And you have the same fixed numbers of goods and services that really hadn't changed much, but you doubled the money supply. So what's going to happen? You have all these extra dollars seeking the same number of goods and services. You're going to get inflation. That's pretty much the textbook definition of inflation. Right. So the only way to get this under control is to reduce government spending, to, to push down that deficit spending. Now, in a, here again, in a forum in Kenai, we were asked, what would you do to address inflation in this nation? And I gave the answer that I just provided now. Mary Peltola's response was to increase taxes. She thought increasing taxes would somehow fix inflation. If we just give the government more of our money, inflation will be taken care of. This right. is, <laughs> I've had a number of economics classes and I've never heard of this particular economic theory. I guarantee you it would not work uh, and it would only make things worse because at a time of rising prices for gas and groceries and rent, right. and cars and everything else, taking more money out of your pocket is not going to fix anything. I think Keynesian economists and Austrian economists would both be going, what? Scratching their head. Like, <laughs> what? How, how does that work? Nick Beggage is our guest candidate for U.S. Congress. Uh, we're going to take another break, and we're going to come back to him here in just a hot second. Make sure you come out and check us out on Facebook if you'd like to get more information or see behind the scenes. Facebook.com slash Michael Duke Show. We'll continue with more here in just a moment. Right after this. We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the, on the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Nick Baggage is our guest. Uh, we're in the commercial break right now, um, and uh, we're going to go through – I'll go through some of the chat room questions here, see if there's anything in there that uh, is viably – thing. Uh, this is a question that I, I'm curious, and I know a lot of candidates don't want to answer it, but we're seeing what's happening in the Senate race. Um, and I got to yeah. kind of know, are you are you rooting for somebody in the Senate race? Are you got to support uh, – I've said, I've said for months I'm supporting Kelly Chewbacca. I voted yeah. for Kelly and – in in my single vote in, the, in her primary yeah she's going to get my only vote going forward i you know i can't believe what murkowski's doing here right well, I, yeah, I really I mean, talk it about it just blows my mind talk about know, kumbaya would, with uh with peltola and all that stuff I and mean, you talk about somebody who's become bosom buddies i mean wow you know i just i just stunning really that she would go out and say that she's going to support the democrat she knows the things that I'm talking about with everyone today here this morning about the policy differences. Right. And uh, it, it was 
I, I, I shouldn't be surprised. I really wasn't all that surprised. I was surprised she said it publicly. But um, no, I've been a longtime uh, supporter of Kelly, and I will remain so. Yeah. You know, this issue of whoops, uh, sorry, this issue of the uh, of the budgets, um, it blows my mind. And this is something as a libertarian that I've said for a long time. I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's the left wing and the right wing. It's both the same bird, right? The, the left side of the coin, the right side of the coin. So the problem is politicians. The problem is people who believe that America is just too big to fail. But yet here we are, $30 trillion in debt, um, an increase of $10 trillion over just a very short period of time. And we act like this can go on forever. Um, and there's been there's been yeah. a few politicians that have stood up against it and they act like these people are crazy. You know, the Mike Lees and the Thomas Massey's and the Rand Paul's of the world. They they look at them like you guys are crazy. Of course, we can spend whatever we want. Of course, we can print money into, you know, I mean, well, I guess as long as we're the world reserve currency. But how long are people going to I mean, how long are people going to continue that if but, we yeah. don't do that? Well, reserve currency status does not last forever. There's a sort of a chart that's floated around the Internet for a long time that kind of shows uh, the duration of reserve currency status for various uh, currencies over the last, say, 500 years. And you can see, you know, <laughs> at one point it was the, the British pound, right? It, 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 was, it was French currency. It was Spanish currency prior to that, right? And, you know, we don't, we don't get this, what they call the exorbitant privilege forever. And if you think about this, I told some some students in Healy at a debate last week, okay? I said, if you don't remember anything that I've said today, remember this. Wealth accrues to those who produce. And what does the United States really produce right now? Right. Dollars. Yeah. Because the production is happening somewhere else. It's happening in other nations for the most part, right? What we consume, the portion of, <laughs> that we consume in hard goods is being made by and large in other nations. So if we lose the reserve currency status, what do we have left? Right. Well, I would Why say Why would someone send us those goods and export their labor to us in exchange for the dollar? Right. Well, we used to be in a labor economy and of course things change the information age. I mean, we're more of an idea economy now. We're a conceptual, you know, we develop ideas, but then we have other people build them. And so there's not a lot of things that we can actually physically produce here, but you're right. The second that we stop being the world reserve currency, there's going to be a huge problem. And I don't think people really understand that in a meaningful way, that there will be a huge problem. I mean, you think Zimbabwe and Weimar Germany were, were examples of inflation. Just see what happens when they dump us as the world reserve currency and what happens then. We have got to get a handle on this now before, I mean, it's too far, we're too far gone to come back. And I think unless we have that kind of knowledge down in Washington, D.C., and people willing to take the hard stance, um, we're going to be a problem. And on that note, somebody asked, would you join Jim Jordan and the Freedom Caucus? Would you join with people like Rand Paul? And would you join with those kind of guys to speak out against that kind of uh, spending? we got about 60 seconds. I would, yes, I will absolutely speak out against it. I've talked to Jim Jordan personally several times during the campaign. I got his cell phone number in my in my cell phone here. And I've talked with other members of that caucus as well. And certainly I'd look at that, but we would definitely be on the same page. We are on the same page. When I talk to these guys, I mean, when it particularly when it comes to fiscal and monetary policy, absolutely. Government spending, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and of course, yeah. people are going to complain because they're like, well, wait, Alaska gets a lot of that gravy. Oh, we need, you know, and that's the thing. Everybody's ox is going to get gored because we're going to we're going to try and cut government spending. Same argument we're having here in the state. Cut state spending. People lose their jobs. Well, 
I'm sorry, that's the economic reality of you can't keep spending money that you don't have, even if it is employing people, because ultimately well, I, it will I, kill you. Yeah, and I tell people, look, you know, uh, Alaska has a huge risk here, a huge risk, because at the end of the at the end of, of all of this uh, activity, there's one rule that's going to remain true, and that is math wins in the end. Yeah, you can't complain your way out of math. Right. Okay. Exactly. So at the at, at the end of all this, as the second most federally dependent state in the country, when the books start to balance because they're going to be forced to balance one way or the other, Alaskans are going to be in real trouble because at the same time that that, that federal spending is diminished, we're going to have less of an ability than ever to develop the resources that we need in order to make a living here. Hold the line. Here we go. Well, uh, we're just we're going to the deep dive here during the commercial break on some stuff that was good. Um, if you missed it, you're going to have to go back and listen to it on the podcast because I'm not going to repeat right now. But I mean, some good, good stuff, especially on fiscal policy and the spending uh, in the United States, which. I mean, again, math wins. I think that was the quote for the day from Nick is that math wins. Arithmetic don't lie is what I used to love to say all the time. You can't keep, you know, you can't keep just doing the same thing and expect that arithmetic is going to change to your whim. Uh, Nick Beggage is our guest. Uh, we're continuing here. Nick, uh, we're down to the last, uh, oh, about eight, nine, ten minutes here. So, again, uh, other things that you think separate you from your candidate, uh, from your opponents, rather, and, uh, you know, where you stand. And uh, so I, I give you a little little bit of a rope here to say, you know, what are some of the other things? I mean, is it border security? Is it the war on terror? Is it, you know, what is it? Uh, legalization of marijuana? I mean, what are the things that you look at that go government needs to be or doesn't need to be involved in any of these things? Uh, I'll let you go here. Well, I think border security is another big one. Uh, you know, look, I've said for a long time, you don't have a nation if you don't have borders. And I am a, a strong proponent of legal immigration. But every, what we have in this nation is anything but legal. It's not immigration, it's migration. And it's done with the tacit approval of the Biden administration and Democrats across this country. We have got to secure our borders and get smarter about our immigration policy. If we had a smarter immigration policy, uh, I think it'd be healthier for the nation. But right now, what we have is a disaster. And that is that is a huge contrast between me and, and my opponent. My opponent has has suggested that she wants to pack the Supreme Court. She wants to expand the number of justices on the Supreme Court. This is radical. This is radical. She doesn't like the decisions that are, that are being made. So she says, well, let's just increase the number of justices so that we can pack the Supreme Court. You know, this is this is the left on full display. They're happy to follow the rules unless the rules result in an outcome they don't like. Then they want to change the rules. Right. Exactly. And that's Mary Peltola. Right. That's her statement. Right. You know, that she wants to expand the Supreme Court. You didn't see a and, lot, you didn't see a lot of Republicans calling for packing the Supreme Court when it was a more liberal court. Right. It was only when things didn't flow their way that that in we started putting constitutionalists and, and originalists in there that all of a sudden they're like, whoa, 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 we got to put more of our people in there. Uh, I mean, it's a, that's right. It's a total game changer at that point. That's right. And so, you know, here again, she's she's been allowed to to sort of paint a picture as being a moderate 
These aren't moderate policies. These aren't the policies of moderates. You don't hear moderates say pack the Supreme Court. You hear extremists say pack the Supreme Court, but not moderates. And so, you know, we need to recognize that we've been deceived during this campaign by Mary Peltola's team, trying to paint her as pro-Second Amendment. She's not, uh, you know, trying to trying to paint her as, as some kind of fiscal moderate. She's anything but, right? You talk about uh, the Build Back Better bill. She was supportive of that. She's on record as saying she supported Build Back Better. And Build Back Better, for those who don't remember, was nothing but a giant Green New Deal set of priorities put forward by the Biden administration. She supports the PRO Act, which is one of the worst bills that you could possibly imagine for small business. It would make it almost impossible to start a small business, in fact. What it does is it takes the worst parts of California's labor law and attempts to federalize it. And I'll give you an example. One of the things in, the, in one of the provisions in the PRO Act, okay, is that it would, it, would, it would say basically if you are a small business owner and more than 50% of your revenue comes from a single client, you're now that client's employee. They have to pay your taxes. You're no longer an independent contractor. Now, let me tell you, if you're, if you're laying tile or you're painting houses or you're doing any of these sorts of things and you work with you know, a general contractor and you just started up, they're going to be more than 50% of your business in all likelihood. Right. In fact, you'd have to start with three almost equally balanced clients in order to remain independent. This idea, this whole concept would kill new business creation and formation in the country and force independent contractors to become employees and force unionization across the nation for people that don't want to be in a union. And so, you know, this, again, is a radical position. It's uh, it's something that Almost everyone uh, on the center and center right in the Congress voted against when it came up uh, for a vote. And even Lisa Murkowski is not supportive of the PRO Act in full. Right. And yet she is. Yeah. No, I mean, I think these are prime examples. I mean, what makes America uh, America, what has made it a superpower and made it great over the years was that entrepreneurial spirit, people building something. We were a nation of producers. We produced wealth. We produced small business. We gave it the American dream. People are still, speaking of borders, people are still dying to try and get into America. Name me another country where people are trying dying to try and get into it, you know, and to try and basically usurp that or to add more government blocks to it is something that I think is, uh, I mean, it's, it's antithetical to what most of us believe. I mean, Don Young was famous for saying he wanted to remove more regulation, and he did work a lot of work on that, removing regulation. We need to get government out of the way, right? I mean, of, of what's going on in many things. And I'm not talking about willy-nilly Wild West dumping uranium in your own backyard or doing anything like that. I'm talking about getting them out of the way for useless regulations or things that hinder small business development because the majority of employees in the country are employed by small business. I'll tell you, I'll give you an example of, of some of these regulatory uh, overreach actions that are baked into law. <clears throat> I was talking with some folks um, a while back about what was happening when Shell was drilling in the Chukchi Sea. For people who remember, they, they went out, they tried to drill a couple of exploratory wells. They, they got one hole drilled, cost them $7 billion, right? Um, I was talking with somebody and they said, you know, they, they had to space out little cigarette uh, disposal um, locations on the rig because if a cigarette butt landed in the Chukchi Sea, one, this person told me 
they had to have a spill response team. They had to stop everything they're doing on the entire rig and have a spill response team for one cigarette butt. They could see 100 cigarette butts floating by. No, 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 no spill response for that, right? This is the kind of regulatory overreach that makes it impossible to do anything. Impossible. Yeah, yeah right? no. And we, it doesn't make any sense at all. We've got to get – we've got to get – and that's the biggest thing today is that government has grown so deep and so large, it's interspersed and inveigled into every part of our lives. Um, and that's obviously – I mean, I've often said it. If the founders were alive today, they'd be t- they'd be in some tavern talking a little treason. You know what I mean? I mean, they went to war over a 3% tax on mail. You know what I mean? Now we've got it in every little piece of our lives. So uh, I agree. I think we need to look at that government overreach, and it needs to be a prime focus. But we're down to less than two minutes. I want to give you the final thoughts here, Nick. Uh, your final elevator pitch for why we should vote Nick Baggage first or second and uh, and you know where folks find out about you. Yeah. First off, put me first. Put Sarah Palin second on your ballot. If you're a center or center right voter, you really should do that. Look, if Mary Peltola were to win again, she's going to be in the minority. All right. Republicans are taking back the House. We don't want Alaska to be in the minority. We need to be in the majority because we're taking this country back. We're probably going to get the Senate as well. Right. And then we're going to win that presidency in 2024 because Joe Biden is one of the worst presidents this nation has ever seen. He's basically Jimmy Carter 2.0. This guy's going to go down in flames. We want Alaska to have some clout, have the ability to to influence the resources conversation that's happening in this nation and will continue to happen in this country. I'm a full-throated advocate for resource development. For people who have watched this campaign for the last year, you know that I've been talking about this consistently. And I've said Alaska has a role to play. Alaska has a role to play only if we can make an effective business case for the state down in D.C. That means that you've got to be full-throated advocate for oil, gas, coal, resources like critical minerals, base metals, precious metals, right? Rare earth elements, timber, which we desperately need in Southeast Alaska and throughout the state. Fishing, of course, tourism, which is a form of a resource, but you have to be a full-throated advocate of all of these things because they bring in the net new dollars, what I call primary industry for the state. You cannot run Alaska on restaurants. They're great, but you got to have dollars coming into the state first, and that's our resource economy. I'll be a full-throated advocate for resources, a full-throated advocate for getting government spending under control and making sure that we return this nation to Nick Baggage for Congress. Uh, That's it for today, The Michael Duke Show. All right, we're in the break. Sorry, we're. I, I, it's a hard break there, Nick. I got no choice uh, but to run that. So this is where I give the candidates a final bite at the apple. Um, again, something we didn't get to, something you want to dive deeper into that we touched on, whatever. Um, I got an extra two, three minutes here uh, for you to basically say whatever it is that you want to say. This is your chance to shout out and uh, let your voice let your voice be heard. That full throated roar you were just talking about. Yes. Uh, no. I anything you want to I, talk about. I appreciate about. the opportunity to come on the show, you know, and talk about these issues. I mean, these are the germane topics. What's interesting is you you, you see a lot of the press, they're trying to, to move the conversation to issues that they believe, excuse me, are winning issues uh, for the left. But the, the real issues for the country are things like the economy, are things like inflation. You know, the, the price of a turkey this year is up 75% over last year. <laughs> Seventy-five yeah. percent. Yeah, I mean, for people for people that are on the margin right now, 
you know, there there's literally people out there and I've there's about I think it's 25 percent of the country. I have to go look that stat up. I think it's about 25 percent of families are thinking about doing something besides turkey this year because it's too expensive. Right. I mean, that's the that's the avian flu thing. It killed like a third of the turkey stocks in the United States. Right. So, I mean, it's, you know, that and bacon and uh, I mean, even microwave pizzas are are double prices. I mean, things are just it's out of control. It's uh, it's nuts. And and so you look at that and you say, OK, what are we going to do when Christmas comes? Are we going to be able to have presents under the tree? You know, these are things that, that families are starting to think about. And we can thank the Democrats for this. You know, we would have actually a, a, around two million uh, barrels a day more production in the United States if it weren't for Joe Biden's anti-energy policies. Sure. And energy security yeah. on top of it, right? I mean, that's the thing, not dependent yeah. on foreign powers for our oil consumption. Yeah, you know, and it's so short-sighted what they're trying to do. The, the, the left is excited about high energy prices because they believe it ushers in this new tr- green energy tr- transition. And yet these same people are opposed to mining. It's some of the most insane thinking that you can possibly concoct, right? right? And these policies... You know, when they're when they're enacted, what what I've told people is the Democrat fantasy and reality are finally colliding. And the Democrats are finding out these fantasies, no matter how much you wish that they were true, aren't true. Right. And, you know, one of the things that has bothered me is like, you know, it's a little pet peeve when people talk about their truth. You don't get the truth. There's a truth. You can you can know it or not know it, but you're not entitled to the truth. You're you, you have the opportunity to pursue it. But you don't get to invent truth, right? And the left wants to say, well, I have my truth and you have yours. No, you don't. There is a single truth. Right. And the truth of the matter is cheap, abundant energy is probably the most compassionate thing that you can do for the poor and the middle class. Right. Period. Well, and I love this fantasy of, oh, I'm glad we have high oil prices. Now we can do green stuff. But we're against mining, which, of course, is required to create all the green stuff. And, oh, by the way, that oil production, there's still demand. So what have we done? It's a transference. It's a transference of developing minerals, oils, and resources from places that have a great clean track record, like Alaska, like America, and moving into other places, you know, India, China, uh, you know, all these other places where they don't have the regulatory oversight or they don't have some kind of self-governing, you know, uh, environmental policy. And so now they're just tearing the land up and leaving big pits, right? I mean, they they don't care. And so instead of transferring it to somebody who's responsible, like places in Alaska or America, they're moving it offshore and now it's somebody else's problem and they pat themselves on the back and feel like they've done good. Yeah, they've done worse. And in fact, I call it regulatory arbitrage. And it's this idea that we'll have high standards here and push all the work to the lowest possible standard. And the the last policies become a race to the race to the bottom. Yeah. Absolutely. It's frustrating. It is amazing uh, to watch and to see the the uh, the logic, quote unquote, behind that kind of thinking. Um, you know, the fact that it takes, you know, more minerals and energy to develop some of these green resources than they'll actually produce in the lifespan of the product is, uh, you know, I mean, I'm just I'm scratching my head like, what the hell? Anyway, um, Nick, um, 
where, where do folks find out about you? Where do they go? Where do they go to donate? How do they find out more? You know, and of course, getting out and vote, voting Nick number one, Paris Salen, uh, para, uh, Sarah Palin number two, uh, or in my case, Chris, then Nick, then Sarah, because you're getting my second place vote, baby. Um, but what, I mean, you know, where, where, where are we going? Where, where do we find out about you? Yeah, go out to alaskansfornickbegich.com. And that's where you can donate, you know, 80 to 90% of my money is coming from Alaska. Right. This is important right. for people to understand. 80 to 90% of Sarah Palin's money comes from outside the state. And 80 to 90% of Mary Paltola's money comes from outside the state. My campaign is being fueled by Alaskans. Alaskans. So, yeah. you know, if, if, if you're a supporter, if you like what you've heard today, I mean, th- these are my policies. I've been consistent throughout the last year. I'd encourage you to go out and, and find a way to get involved, donate to the campaign. We've got a very active Facebook page. It's got a lot more information about policies and details, places I've been. As I mentioned earlier, I've, I haven't had a day off this entire campaign. We're, we're out every single day. I've literally walked into to, uh, supermarkets just to shake hands. I've walked into Home Depots just to say <laughs> hi to people because, uh, look, you got to meet people where they're at. Right. And I do that as much as I possibly can. Yeah. Well, he's the uh, only good baggage, or I guess if you're a Democrat, he's the deviant baggage. I don't know which one he is, but uh, he's the good baggage. Um, and again, don't let the name fool you. Nick Baggage uh, for Congress. Uh, again, Alaskans for Nick Baggage. Thanks for coming on, my friend, and I appreciate it. And if you win, again, I look forward to talking with you and having these conversations more often because, by God, in today's day and age of technology and everything else where we can just do this and Zoom back and forth and look at each other and talk, we need that. We need more transparency. We need more interaction with the elites in Washington, D.C., uh, we don't want you to get subsumed by the machine, you know, so to speak. Don't let me. No, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Uh, we, we we welcome it and we look forward to it. And uh, I wish you good luck, my friend. Thank you for coming on board this morning and joining us. It was a pleasure Thanks, to speak Michael. with you. Uh, pleasure to speak with you this morning. Absolutely. Appreciate the opportunity. Everyone have a great morning and uh, make sure you vote. OK, this is this is so critical. It's your right as an American, but it's really your duty as a citizen. Go vote. Absolutely. Absolutely. And rank the red. And rank the red. Or yellow and Absolutely. red. Yellow and red in my case. But, I mean, rank the <laughs> – rank the, do not rank the blue. All right. Uh, Nick, Nick Baggage, thank you, my friend. It's good to see you. Thank you for coming on board today. Thank you, Michael. All right, folks. Uh, that brings us right to the end today. We are uh, out of time. And so uh, we're just going to – we're going to pull the plug. We're going to pull the plug and go tomorrow on the program. Jamie Allard running for state house in hour one. And yes, that pesky libertarian Chris By is back tomorrow morning at seven o'clock. We'll get his take on things. No, it's not a wasted vote. Stop saying that. I mean, hey, it's ranked choice voting. We love that, right? I still get to vote for Nick Beggage and Chris By. I get everything. I'm greedy. It's like I'm a monogamist, only I like sleeping with my wife. All right? You know, that's how it is. All right. Get everything. All right, my friends. We are out of time. Tomorrow is another day. Don't forget to check out that new video short that I did on bullet voting over on YouTube. You should share this. In fact, Nick, you should share this with all your folks out there as well about bullet voting. It's talking about the governor, but it could be applicable to pretty much every other race out there. I just dropped the link in YouTube or uh, uh, in the chat right there. It's on YouTube. It's a new YouTube short. Go check it out. I'm going to be doing more of those as we get through little bits and pieces, 60 second shorts. We got to go. We will see you 
tomorrow, my friends. God bless. Be kind. Love one another. Live well. The Michael Duke Show. your private chat, Nick. shed our terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show